If you have your Bible today, look, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, a great passage in the Bible. Once again, I'm warm, so bye-bye for this. <clears throat> I'll put a jacket back on in October. Maybe. We're talking about Jesus as God, the untamed God, the God who, and in this particular case, this week we're looking at the God who leaves us speechless. When's the last time you were truly speechless? Not, not just astounded, not just amazed, not just overwhelmed, not just shocked, but truly speechless. I, I would submit that that happens very, very rarely. I, I don't think we do it. Uh, most of us are more likely to scream or to rant. When we get amazed, we, you know, we go off. You hear us talking. But years ago, in 1984-85, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. You remember the opening scenes of the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Indiana Jones goes into this cave, and he's got this sack of, of rocks, and he's trying to figure the weight, and he substitutes a skull, and he puts the sack of rocks there, and it's not exactly the right weight, and all of a sudden, the floor begins to crumble, and he hightails it out there, and there's spears flying and arrows flying, and this big, huge rock, you remember the ro round rock that comes down the tunnel, and he's chasing out of that? I, we took my mother to see that. And my mother doesn't, doesn't go to movies that often. And here's this big, huge scream with this loud sound and arrows flying. And he finally, he gets out and he gets across the river. And there's this guy and he takes the skull from him. You know, he takes this archaeological find from him. And my mother under her, I mean, she's shocked. There's just this silence for a minute. And then she mutters under her breath, why would anyone pay to see that? Well, Mom, if you're listening, $384,140,000 was spent seeing that, not including rentals or worldwide release. Uh, that's what we do. When, when we're shocked, when we're amazed, we tend to mutter under our breath. We tend to say something. Rarely do we truly get to the point where we're speechless. And you may not be speechless by what we see in Luke chapter 2, but we should be. Paul rants too, because in the middle, in the middle of uh, Romans, he's writing this letter to the Roman church, and he gets to this point where he says, God is not done with Israel. There is what, the, what is called today replacement theology. There are people teaching today that God is done with Israel, that, that the church is the new Israel, and that God is done with what his promises were. And Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and 11, absolutely that's not true. Absolutely, what God promised Israel is still to come. It's still a promise. It will be fulfilled. And at the, it, it, when he should be speechless, Paul goes off on Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. I mean, Paul can't even be silent. God wants to shake us to the core. God wants us to see Jesus in such a way that it changes forever the way we look, look at him. He wants us to see Jesus as untamed, even in times when we don't think that he's untamed, and it should leave us speechless. So I'm going to ask you just three simple questions. Here's the first one. Am I speechless at Jesus' investment in me? Jesus Christ made an investment in you. He made an investment in me. In Luke chapter 2, we get, we, we're going to pick up the story shortly after his birth or in, while he's a child, and you're going to see some interesting things. Luke chapter 2, verse 40, 
And the child grew. Who's the child? Well, if you look at verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, that meant that he was circumcised. It meant that he was brought to the temple uh, after the 60 days. Uh, they had returned to Galilee to their town of Nazareth. They've been in Egypt for a couple of years until Herod the Great is dead. They know it's safe to come back. And so they come back to Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He lived a couple of years in Egypt. He comes back to Nazareth. Look at what it says in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. That's again Jesus Christ. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Stop for just a minute. There were actually were three feasts. There was the peace, there was the Passover, there was Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, the Yom Kippur that came at the end of the year. One in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall. They should have gone for all three, but for the poorest of the poor, those who didn't have a lot, they typically would show up once a year. A lot of speculation on how Joseph could live in Egypt for two years, but you do remember the Magi came and there was gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm thinking maybe they were subsidized by what they had been given as the gifts. But we know we didn't, they didn't have a lot of money, and it says every year they went up to the feast according to the custom. Look at verse 43. When the feast, that's Passover, was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. You think, how can that possibly be? Hey, listen, I was one of six children. I was left at church at least twice. Both times I called, I knew where the church phone was. My dad was a pastor, and I called on the church phone, and I said, and my dad would pick up the phone, and I'd say, Dad, come pick me up. And he'd say, who's this? I said, I'm your son, George, the fourth. Remember me? And he would turn around, and you could hear him yell, is George here? Is he playing a game on us? You know, is he playing a trick on us? And I'd say, Dad, Dad, I'm at church. I'll be outside waiting by the curb. It happens. The whole town is going back. All the children are riding together in the caravan. He gets lost. They think he's with the others. He's not there. They were unaware of it. Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. At least we were only a couple miles from my house. But anyway, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, now again, the Greek is very specific. It's after three days of searching. They came back. He's, they're, they're gone a day. They come back a day and three days. It appears that it was five days total, but at least three days. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Let's stop here for a minute. Am I speechless at Jesus Christ's investment in me? And you say, well, I don't see an investment there. There are a lot of gaps about, we know about, uh, about what we know in Jesus' life. What happened? We know quite a bit about the birth. We remember that Mary has a, an angel come to her. Joseph has an angel come to him. Jesus is uh, uh, born of a virgin, and we know that the shepherds came. We know that the, the magi, the wise men came. We know that, that uh, there was all of this other activity surrounding his birth. We know that there was Simeon and, and Anna who had prophecies. That's in Luke chapter 2. We know quite a bit about what happened clustered right around his birth in the first year or so of his birth. But then it's quiet. And the next thing we know, he's 12 years old, other than that he just grew and matured. He's 12 years old, and so there's a lot of gaps that we don't know about. And you say, I'm not speechless yet pastor. Well, think about this. Jesus is a 12-year-old. 
Jesus, what was it like when you were 12 years old? For some of you, you can't remember back that far. Acne is setting in. Your bones hurt if you're a boy. For a lot of us boys, I had Osgood Slaughter. I grew so fast when I was 12 years old. When I was 13, I went into the seventh grade. I was 5'11", 175 pounds. I grew so fast in the sixth grade, I went through six different sizes of jeans in one year. I mean, it was just ridiculous how fast I grew. And so at 12 years old, he could have been experiencing that. And, and all of the hormones, all of the adolescence, everything that's going on in Jesus' body and in his life, all of these things are happening. What's it like for a 12-year-old who spoke creation into being to experience those things? You say, what do you mean? Genesis 1-3 says that, as the Lord spoke, things happened. In, in all of the creation account, and God said, and there was. And God said, let there be light, and, and light was. All of creation is spoken into being. We talk about seven days. Actually, it, it, it could be seven words. And God spoke, and it was. And animals and plants and all that. And John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We know that the Logos, the Logos, is Jesus Christ. And the next verse says, all things that were made were made by him. Without him, nothing was made. Jesus is at the creation. Jesus is the Logos, is the word. He's the, the spoken word. He's the written word. He's the word in our hearts. But he's also the word that God used to speak into, into existence everything. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, everything appeared. Do you understand that? A 12-year-old with acne that needs braces, that's wondering about what's happening in his body, is the same one who spoke all of creation into being. What's it like? We have just a couple of clues in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being... In very nature, the Greek word morphe, morph, we, we, we get that. In very core, who he is, his essence, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Literally emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if we don't understand what it's like for a 12-year-old to understand what it's like to grow up in a body when he, when he formed bodies, when, when he was the one who breathed life into the first body, when we think maybe we don't get that, then we get even more than that. He decided to humble himself and to limit himself. And you say, well, was Jesus no longer God? No, that's not what I'm saying. There are people who have used Philippians chapter 2 and have made it to, to be something that it's not. If you'll notice, it says that, it, that he made himself nothing. That's the Greek word kenosis, uh, literally emptied himself. And there's a, a group of people who say, well, he emptied himself. He, he wasn't God anymore. But look, it says, who being in very nature God, he never gave up his godness. There is a, there is a, uh, a tremendous Bible teacher that I got to hear several times by the name of Dr. Charles Feinberg. This is what he says. Here's the truth about the kenosis, the self-emptying of Christ. First of all, the principle must be laid down that the logos, the word, ceases not for a single moment, in spite of his voluntary humiliation, to be that which he was in eternal nature and essence. 
when the preexistent, the eternal logos took on humanity, he gave up the visibility of his glory. Men could not have looked upon unveiled deity. You couldn't look on God in all of his glory. So he, first of all, he tamped down or he emptied himself of some of that so we could see him. The kenosis there, furthermore, implies that Christ gave up, as Augustus Strong aptly suggests, the independent exercise of the divine attributes. In other words, he had all of the abilities, but for some reason he chose not to use them all the time. Feinberg continues, Christ was possessed of all the essential attributes and properties of deity, but he did not use them except at the pleasure of the Father. What am I saying? That Jesus somehow voluntarily restricted what he knew and did from time to time. Now, he was always fully God and fully man. And we struggle with that just a little bit. Have you ever known anybody who was two things fully at the same time? You don't. And I could go on. I, I have a quote from Chafer's Systematic Theology, but I'm already getting people with their eyeballs rolling up in their heads, so I won't go into the hypostatic union of who Jesus Christ is, the theanthropic man, theos God, anthropos man. He was fully God, fully man. But just suffice it to say that he was all of God and he was all of man at the same time as he lived on this earth. But it, being fully man, he experienced everything that a man would experience. In Hebrews 1.3, we know that God says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus Christ, even while he was here, still is the one who sustained the universe. But in Mark 13.32, it says, when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, when's all of this going to happen? They, he talked about the, the kingdom when it's coming and when he comes again and, and all of the things that are happening in the end times. And they said, when's that going to happen? What does Jesus respond? He said, no one knows the day and the hour except the Father himself. Well, if he's fully God, how could he not know it? Because he decided to humble himself and to limit himself. Where's the investment? I mean, where's the investment? Jesus became a zygote, fertilized egg. Jesus became an embryo. Jesus was a fetus. Jesus was a baby. Jesus was a two-year-old toddler that would fall and scrape his knees. Jesus was, was a child that had to have baby teeth and permanent teeth. Jesus was a young man who was ridiculed by his peers. Jesus was a, a baby and a, and a toddler and a boy. Jesus was a 12-year-old. Jesus could get lost in the crowd. Jesus could get left behind by his parents. Jesus could get tired and get hungry. Jesus could die. How much have you invested? How many of your parents here are grandparents? How many of your grandparents, first of all? Okay. You had to be a parent first. Some of you were slow getting your hand up. I'm just reminding you, okay? If I could have figured out how to be a grandparent first, I would have done that. That's too cool to be a grandparent. But you've got to be a parent first, okay? So you're a parent, okay? Have you invested any time in that child? <laughs> and some of you are going, time, forget time. Let's talk money here. Let's talk... I, just, I, I read that it used to cost $186,000 to raise a child. Now that's, that's up to over a quarter of a million dollars. I'm thinking that's just to get them through nursery school anymore. I, you know, it's just crazy. People get pregnant and they're already trying to check out the, the kindergarten and the, the grade school that they're going to put, put their child in. I just think that's, that's beyond my comprehension. But all of this money and all this time, have you invested anything in your child? And you say, of course I have. Do you want them to succeed? Of course you do. Do you love them with all of your heart, soul, mind? Yeah, absolutely. You, absolutely you do. 
But did you ever think about what God has invested in us? If you go to Isaiah 6 and you see the, the throne room opened up and God's presence filling all of the universe and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And you think about that God, that son, that one who invested himself as a, as a child, as a baby, as a man, as a savior. It's a rare glimpse of what we have for Jesus. And if you've ever invested yourself in that child, can you imagine, have you ever lost a child? We've, we lost one of our kids, uh, Jonathan, our, our youngest son. Uh, we were out at this big event in Amarillo, Texas. I think it was on Memorial Day weekend. And I mean, it was huge. There were thousands and thousands of people here at this thing. And you know, we were trying to hang on to him, and I had to go to work, and Kathy said, you go ahead and go to work, and, and I'll be here with the kids, and then I get this call, and Jonathan's missing. We don't know where he is, and it was this long period of time. I mean, it was minutes. It was maybe even a couple of hours before we found out where he was. turned out that he wanted to go play on the, on the swing sets and the, and the playground equipment, and he had told his mom he wanted to do that, but she said, no, you're not going, and so he just snuck out and went anyway. He didn't sit very well for a little while. And we were terrified. But how about if you lose God's son? 12-year-old. Three days? Are you kidding me? Am I speechless at Jesus' investment? When I really think about it, I'm dumbfounded. Number two, am I speechless at Jesus' understanding of me? Go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 47. Everyone who heard him, where was he again? He was in the temple, sitting, where, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them. All the focus in verse 46 is on what Jesus was learning and listening and asking questions. And suddenly the focus changes in verse 47. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And, and the, the, the verbiage just keeps ramping up. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for, for you. Well, you know this story. And Jesus looks up at him, verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Play on words. Mary's talking about Joseph. Jesus is talking about Yahweh. He's talking about Elohim. He's talking about God the Father. Why were you searching for me if you missed me and you knew I was in Jerusalem? Where else would I be? But they, they did not understand what he was saying to them. Am I speechless at what Jesus understood about me and, and you? I mean, he's, he's sitting there in the midst of, of all this, and, and he's not being disrespectful. We, when we hear this, I mean, if I had said something like that to my dad, my dad, you know, I would have been picking myself up off the ground because my dad would have let me know that you didn't speak to your mother that way. But we don't get the inflection in his, his tone. We don't get the inflection in his words. We, 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 we don't understand that. He was genuinely confused. I think what he's saying to Mary is, don't you remember the angel that came and told you who I was? Joseph, don't you remember the angel? Do you guys remember the Magi and all those gifts? They bowed down and you told me the story. They bowed down in front of me and worshipped me as the king. Do you remember the shepherds who came and the sky exploded with the angels? Do you understand who I am? Have you forgotten in 12 years? 
Have you forgotten who I am? I don't think he's disrespectful. I think he's incredulous. I think he can't, he can't fathom why they were looking for three days. But he's saying, don't you understand? God sent me here for a purpose. And part of my purpose is to not only listen to the teachers and ask them questions, but it's to help them. It says, those who heard Jesus were amazed. The, the little word amazed there is existanto. Existanto is a Greek word. It literally means to, be, to stand by oneself, it, to be terrified out of your wits is what we would say. It, it, literally, we could, we could translate that. Those who heard were speechless. They didn't know what to say. They, they needed to step out of themselves because they, they didn't know what to do. And the Greek word order here, again, we don't get this. Uh, we would feel like we're, we're Yoda in, in Star Wars because he always got word order wrong. But in the Greek word order, it would be amazed is the first word. So amazed everyone who heard him at his understanding and his answers. Amazed were everyone. Uh, and it just doesn't make sense in English. But they do that to emphasize that amazed is the focus of this sentence. Amazed is the focus of this paragraph. Amazed is the focus of his parents. They came in and everyone was astounded. Luke, according to Chuck Swindoll, Luke used every literary device available to indicate how shocking this was. Quote, he used the most theologically loaded term available. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we know that that's the Septuagint, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, existanto is reserved for only when God manifested himself. When God appears to Adam or to Abraham, when God appears to to Gideon, when God appears, everybody who sees God is existanto. They are amazed, speechless. And just like Isaiah fell before the Lord and he didn't know how to speak. And in Revelation, when John sees Jesus, he falls down as if he's dead before the Lord. When they realized who Jesus was and the the extent of his understanding, they're existanto. What did Jesus understand? Well, I wanted to know what the toughest things were to understand. So I did what any, any brilliant person should do. I Googled it. According to Google, the hardest subjects to understand are theoretical quantum mechanics, advanced thermodynamics, and monetary economics. Obviously, the people in Washington should Google this and figure out that they have not figured out monetary economics. My favorite response on Google, just have to throw this one in, one man wrote, the hardest thing for me to understand in college was getting to class and finishing the school. I never did the first, so I never achieved the second. He didn't get to class. The hardest thing to understand. That's not hard to understand. It's just called lazy. Get out of bed and go to class. Here's what's amazing. Jesus understood theoretical quantum mechanics because he devised them. Jesus understood advanced thermodynamics and monetary economics because he is the one who created them. Jesus understood all about all of creation, all of eternity. We can't grasp eternity. Jesus understood everything about people and relationships and family dynamics. Jesus understood everything about everything. 
whether he told everybody everything that he knew. I mean, if, if it had been me, I would have gone around talking about string, the string theory and phys physics. I, I mean, I would have been talking about, uh, you know, uh, applied calculus. I, I, I would have been doing all these things, but Jesus didn't do that. He didn't have to do it. He had all of that. He's omniscient. He knew all things. We get just glimpses of that. When the chief priests and the Pharisees send guards to arrest Jesus, the guards return without him. They were asked, why didn't you bring him in? Uh, there's two verses here. I think there's John 7, 15. Here's the first one. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Earlier in the chapter, before the, the guards are sent out, they, they can't understand how Jesus knew so much. He'd never been taken formal training. This guy's a carpenter. He's never been to rabbinical school. He knew everything a rabbi should know and so much more. And then I think there's a second one. When the guards come back, they say, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. Why didn't you, we sent you to arrest him because he knew so much and he's never studied. Why didn't you do something? The guards came back and said, you guys, you guys don't get it. This guy knows things that nobody should know. This guy, this guy, it's, they, they, we just can't get there. And by the word, by the way, the Jews were exesanto. Same word again in John. The Jews were speechless. Jesus understood before creating the universe that I would reject him, that you would reject him. Jesus knew before creating the universe what that rejection would cost him, that it meant that he would go to the cross, he would be beaten beyond recognition, that he would have crown of thorns put on him, that he would go to the cross and suffer there. Jesus knew what kind of death he would die, and the pain, not only the physical pain, but the spiritual pain for all of the sins, for everyone who's ever lived, that they would be heaped on him. Jesus knew that, and he understood that, and he did it anyway. Do, do we grasp that? I mean, I know what it's going to cost me. If I'm off of the, I, I've been off my bike for a couple of months. We were going to Israel. Things got caught up. I haven't been riding in a, in, in a while. And I know the first time back, I know what it will cost me. It will hurt. This will hurt. And you say, well, pastor, if you just go easy at it, it doesn't work like that. I don't know how to do that. It's going to hurt, and I know it's going to hurt. And because of that, Kathy said this last week, you could go for a ride, and I said I could, but, uh, you know, I've got too much to do. I know, I understand, it's going to hurt. And so I didn't get back on the bicycle this week. I will this week because all of you will now ask me about it. But I understand, and I understand enough to know that I don't want to do it. Jesus understood enough to know that he did want to do it for you and for me. That leaves me speechless. Third question, am I speechless at Jesus' love for me? Am I speechless at Jesus' love for me? Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient. Literally, the word is submissive. He submitted to them. He was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. That's the second time that's used in Luke because earlier when the shepherds came and told her what had happened out in the field, it says that Mary pondered all these things and treasured them in her heart. Verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Sometimes his love is a little more subtle. I mean, sometimes it screams at us and sometimes it's a little more subtle. The Son of God 
who is all-powerful, the Son of God who was all-knowing, the Son of God who had everything at his disposal, when his mother says, come home, goes home. The Son of God who knew the plan of God still submitted to this family and loved them. Jesus humbled himself and was submissive to his early parents. Lisa Harper says it this way in in one of her books. This was a preteen who did not roll his eyes at his parents. That's a miracle in and of itself, okay? You got somebody that's 12 years old and they don't go, oh man, yeah, right, you guys have got it. Get it, this is Lisa. This was a preteen who did not roll his eyes at his parents and tell them, go grab a bite at the Falafel House, I'll be there soon. That's what we would have done. That's as a t- preteen, go to the falafel house, and you know, it's like Waffle House. You, you'll get it, okay. Go to the falafel house, I'll be there in a little while. This was omniscience deferring to them out of love. He remained humble and silent until the proper time, is the way Chuck Swindoll describes this. He, he remained humble and silent until the proper time. You see, we tend to believe that Mary and Joseph did not connect the dots, but that's not really what happened. It says that Mary pondered these things. She treasured these things. And and while they didn't get it initially, Mary later on understood completely. Twelve years old. Twelve years have passed since the birth of Jesus. And at age 12, they go up to the to the temple again. Jesus has been there now every year, it says they went. So at least the two years after Egypt, he's been there nine, ten times. We know that Jesus has been there before. He's been there as a three-year-old and four-year-old, a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old. But when he's 12, it's bar mitzvah. It's a, he's a son of the covenant. He's a son of the Torah. He's, he's at a point now where he is considered a man. If he came in, they could count him as a man. If you have a, 12 men that, that are sons of the Torah, sons of the covenant, then you can have, a, a, you, you have an enough men a quorum so that you can have a study there, so you, you can have a, a worship service there, you can have a synagogue because you have 12 people who are at least 12 years old. He's a man in their eyes, and all of a sudden, as this man, he loves them. And even though, as a son of the covenant, he could have said, no, mom, I want to start my ministry now, he waited. He loves us. And reminds us, just with this subtle thing, that Jesus' omniscience defers out of love to God's plan. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, Because the Lord's, of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Do, do you get that? We rejected God. We shook our fists. Romans 5 says when we were enemies, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still shaking our fists at God saying, I don't want you, God. And at that point, Jesus Christ died for us. Because of his great love, we are not consumed. We should never have made it this far. But God, in his love, held back and deferred. God, in his love, deferred for us the judgment. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This 12-year-old who has invested all of eternity in us, this 12-year-old who who created us knowing that he was going to have to do that, invested himself, this 12-year-old 
who sat there and defied the knowledge of all of the best of Israel's scholars and who answered questions for them in such a way that they were stepping back and saying, this must be God here. No one else could know this. This 12-year-old is already showing this love and pouring his love out. I think the saddest statement in all of it is at the time, in verse 30, 50, it says, they did not understand what he was saying to them. They really didn't get it until later. On April 11th, and I'll close with this, on April 11th, 2009, Simon Cowell was sitting at a, at a bench. Amanda Horton was one of the judges with him, and I can't remember. The, uh, Pierce, I think, was the other one. But anyway, there were three of them, and a frumpy-looking 47-year-old Scottish woman stepped to the microphone. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? This 47-year-old Scottish woman, they, they kind of teased her and made fun of her and asked her what she wanted to be, and she said she wanted to be a singer. She's always wanted to be a singer. She sang in her church choir, and they told her she was quite good, and she should go try out for Britain's Got Talent. And they smirked, and they laughed, and her hair was not combed particularly well, and she just looked a little frumpy. And they asked her what was her goal, and she said to be a greater singer than Elaine Page. Well, Elaine Page in Britain is probably one of the greatest of all of their singers. And they laughed again. They asked her what she was going to sing, and she said, I dream a dream from Les, Ma- Les, Mis, Les Miserables. They laughed again. And she began to sing. Susan Boyle blew them away. I love to see Simon Cowell when he is absolutely astounded. His jaw dropped. He looked even stupider than he usually does. I'm a big fan, you can tell. That performance has been viewed 122 million times on YouTube, but it's been viewed 400 million times on television. She's probably one of the best-known people in all of the world because of that performance that day. Here's what's amazing. What they cut from the original is what Amanda Horton said. It's, it's on the video if you go now. They finally add, added it back on at the end. Amanda Horton, the, the female judge there, said this, everybody was against you. Simon Cowell says, no, I knew as soon as you came out you were going to be great. And he's like, yeah, right. Everybody was against you. I honestly think we were all being very cynical. And then she said this phrase, this is the biggest wake-up call we will ever get. Amanda, you were wrong. It's not. What Jesus did, even at age 12, could be if we would just listen to it. Would you pray with me? Father, you sent your son. At age 12, he was untamed. He was unlike any 12-year-old that we've ever known. Fully God, fully man fully invested, fully understanding, and fully loving us. Father, you gave us a glimpse of something that would just blow our minds if we would just, if we would take the time to really investigate that we would be existential, we would be beside ourselves, we would be speechless in front of you. And we gloss over it, and we read by it, and we don't get it. 
And it's easy for us, Father, to go back and see these people who were there who, were, who missed it. But the truth is, Father, we have missed it. So forgive us and change us. Today, Father, may we understand how much you've invested in us by sending your son to, to live and to die for us. May we understand how much you understand us. You know every thought we've ever had. You know that every place we're going to go, we, you know every mistake we're going to make, and you love us anyway, and we can't fathom that. And Father, you love us far more than we could ever say. So today, Father, may we turn to you in faith and love you and receive you into our lives and live for you and grow in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.